What's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio. It's some episode because I totally didn't look up what we're at. I'm going to look it up and I'll have it by the time we're done. But this is Dave. This is Barry. This is Uncle Jesse. <laughs> wow, Uncle Jesse. You went there. Okay. Uh, this is episode 154. We've got a lot to cram into since we've skipped the past two weeks. Uh, let's just, we're going to do kind of brief, yeah, shortened versions of what we watched this week. Barry. Just get to it. <laughs> Go for it, sir. I saw Mitch Glazer's Passion Play with uh, Mickey Rourke, Bill Murray, and Megan Fox all in the same film. And you'd think they'd do something interesting with those three if you put them all in the same film, but they, they don't. Um, this is one of these movies I really wanted to root for because, for one, nobody rooted for this film. And for the other, um, it has its heart in the right place. But unfortunately, you know, Mickey Rourke playing this man on the run who encounters this circus freak with angel wings played by Megan Fox and he tries to save her from a vicious gangster played by Bill Murray. It's an interesting idea. The film, you know, it tries to be something of a modern-day fable, but it just never, ever works. Bill Murray is playing essentially the same character he played in Mad Dog and Glory, only it's nowhere near as good. And Mickey Rourke is trying, but really it's just creepy to see him in bed with Megan Fox. I mean, I'm sorry, it just is. And Megan Fox, you know what? I got to hand it to her. She's really trying to act this time but she's just such a self-conscious actress that it never works the other film uh, other two I saw this week uh, Ace in the Hold the Billy Wilder film with with Kirk Douglas fine film I've never seen it before it also goes under the title The Big Carnival it's definitely one of the most I mean the word cynical gets thrown around a lot when they're talking about this film it's one of the great films talking about the media and how the media becomes a part of the story and is a part of the story uh, this is about an individual who is trapped in a mine and Kirk Douglas is this sleazy reporter who kind of turns the story to his advantage it's a fine performance uh, great amazing performance in fact by Kirk Douglas and it's one of the most I think one of the more underrated films by Billy Wilder few people don't really talk about this that much excellent film and I did see uh, the new film uh, Meek's Cutoff with uh, how was that uh, I had a real hard time with it to tell you the truth I I want to put on my big boy pants and tell you this film is is quite brilliant at what it does um, it really does evoke the Old West. It evokes the time of the Old West. It evokes what it's like to live in a time without any electricity and any other kind of stimulation. And it's at a time where, you know, walking across a river is like the event of the day and basically kind of, you know, just kind of living and existing. The movie establishes its tone, its time, and its place brilliantly. The performances are quite good. Um, but even someone like me who loves films that are a little slower, this film was so slow. I had a really, really, really hard time with it at times. Um, I love his previous film, Wendy and Lucy. This film, I really, really admire. Yeah, his? It's a chick who directed it. Oh, she directed it? Sorry. I really loved Wendy and Lucy, but uh, with this film, I didn't particularly care for it. I think uh, Michelle Williams gave a fine performance, and Bruce Greenwood, too. And I love the. There's so many things about it, particularly the, the closing scene, which I thought was lovely. And it has a really chilling line um, that closes the film that Bruce Greenwood utters. But I don't think this is a totally successful film. Uh, that's it for me. Okay, Ethan? I watched uh, Spike Jones recently released Scenes from the Suburbs, uh, a film he did inspired by Arcade Fire's The Suburbs album. And they this was known because there was a music video for The Suburbs that came out like last year and it had scenes from this. And it's like just depicting like 15-year-olds, you know, pl- you know, goofing around, but then there's this weird like sci-fi element. And it seemed like such a weird music video and this is basically the 30-minute version of it. And it's just as weird and like kind of incomprehensible as the video, but it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Like it's just, it captures uh, being like a 15 year old and hanging out with your friends so well. And the way it does uh, intersperse those different tones is pretty interesting. So uh, it, it's available on movie.com. I think they took it down for some countries. So I okay. recommend that. Right on. 
Um, I watched uh, Ozu's film, I Was Born But. It was one of his mm. first films, and mm. it's a silent comedy. It's about a uh, family in Japan who, uh, well, yeah, the dad, he gets a new job, and the son, and he kind of his interaction with the sons and his wife. And the dad, he basically, to succeed, he needs to kind of humiliate himself at work. And at the same time, the sons are kind of getting bullied. And it's an incredibly just moving movie. I And it's, again, it's silent. I was just, the emotion in it. And how even how something that is like 80 years ago in Japan is still like today feels like so relevant and true, I think is truly magnificent about it. Um, next, I watched Neil Jordan's The Company of Wolves. Yeah. Is anyone? Yeah, I, I really, I really like that film. It's yeah. like kind of. It's very scattershot, obviously, because it's like all these like just different dreams being told. But it, it, it made it very interesting, and it's written by a feminist author, mm -hmm. and kind of that subtext, and it's very interesting. And I uh, I quite liked the very too brief cameo by Terrence Stamp as the devil. <laughs> nice. Not to mention Angela Lansbury as the grandmother. Perfect casting. I think I really do love his fantasies. I don't think this is one of his best films, but it's definitely better than High Spirits and some of the other like more studio films in Dreams. Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting film. Yeah, so that was good. Right on. Cool. Oh, did, are you already done, sir? Yeah. All right. All right let me get cranking through this. Um, we're going to save that one for last because that's going to be a lengthy discussion. Futurama is back, and it is wrongly glorious. Uh, they... Had a gender bending episode that was oxymoron. Oh, wrongly it is, glorious. It is gloriously so wrong. wrong. Yeah, either oh, or. Okay. Either or. It's just it's more wrong. Well, I don't know. It's it's kind of a toss up. There's. I will just say there's gender bending that goes on, and the end where all the male characters are turned into women and have to shoot a nude calendar is absolutely hilarious. Wow. But yeah, it, it is back. It is back to form. I'm looking forward to this season. Uh, let's see. I got about halfway through Cars before our DVD from Netflix crapped out because apparently it had been abused by like hundreds of children before it got to us. <laughs> but I wasn't heartbroken because it was really boring as crap for me. So, yeah. I, I've, it didn't do anything to change the whole, hey, this is geared towards the NASCAR crowd, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just not one of those people. So, okay. Because that crapped out, I thought, you know what? I really want something to do with Cars. So I watched Rubber. And Wow. Have either of you seen this? Not yet. No. It, oh man. it. The premise is very interesting because it's so incredibly self-aware, but it's not really a killer tire movie at all, even though it is. It really, oh man. It's it's inventive and it's very, man, it, it's got a lot, of, a lot of ambition behind it, but it just doesn't come together. It felt like something that someone would make as a student film, not something that would be that should be released to a wide audience. It has. It opens up with a, with the sheriff character coming out and walk, talking directly into the camera about how this film is essentially an homage to the the conceit that things happen in movies for no reason. You know, like why is E. T. Brown? No reason. You know, things like that. And then it pans back, and he's actually talking to an audience. So the film breaks the fourth wall, but it's a fourth wall that it created. Hmm. And through about half the movie, you have these this group of like twelve or fifteen people standing off in the distance with binoculars, watching this movie happen and commenting on it every once in a while. <laughs> And it really got on my nerves, honestly. I thought, thought it was pretty poorly executed. I'm sure this film's really trying to say something. I just have no idea what it was. Hmm. Uh, it, Sounds it like funny games. Yeah. I wouldn't say Strangely it's a waste enough. of time. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> say it's a waste of time because it has some really funny stuff in it, but it, it's not, not as amazing as everyone's making it out of to me, okay. if you ask me. And then finally, I watched American, the Bill Hicks story. Uh, both of these films are on Netflix, watch instantly in the U.S., so 
I've kind of been dabbling watching some Bill Hicks here and there, but this is a really comprehensive documentary that, while made by friends and family and narrated and interviewed everyone, you know, it's people who obviously love Bill Hicks, they're not afraid of the bad things that happen and talking about his demons and what he went through. And it's just a very touching story, and I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it to anyone who likes uh, stand-up because it's about this guy who's so far ahead of his time, he has to leave his country to get, you know, for people to get him, whether it's going to Canada or the UK or wherever. Every time he comes back to the US, no one gets the jokes. So it's it's really a very comprehensive look at his life and, and well worth watching, I thought. Okay. So, yeah. And then finally, we've all seen Tree of Life. Wow. Who wants to start this one off? Oh, you go ahead, Ethan. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I saw the movie two weeks ago, and um, I think there's a lot of hyperbole we could, you know, kind of label at this film, but I still think that in a way that doesn't truly express kind of how I felt watching this movie. And, like, I can say all these, like, oh, it's the best thing that this, it's the most artistically challenging, oh, it's the most relatable, but the emotions I felt while watching this movie were, like I said, were pretty hard to describe and I, I think it is truly a masterpiece and if it I it, it will be my number one film of the year guess I'll go next I, I, I'm wholly in agreement with you I made a mistake when I talked I talked to Barry I saw this past Tuesday I called him as soon as I got out and I called it the most pretentious film I'd ever seen and that was that that wasn't correct it was the most most self-fulfilling you know it, it was it was a film that that Malik made for him I think and he was hoping that we would go along for the ride and that would touch us in the way he had to. And in the hands of the wrong kind of director, I think this film could be labeled as masturbatory almost. But the fact that this film is so sincere with the way it plays, the fact that it's just him essentially spilling out who he is and letting you take what you will from it is what really sets this film apart from most things that I've seen. Uh, I don't think any two reviews are going to be the same of this film. As evidenced by every review I've read, none of them are the same except for the people who say this film's going to affect you on a very personal level, and I doubt any two people are going to have the same experience. It's going to connect with them in different ways. I wonder if it really personally affected the guy whose uh, ringtone went off during the creation of the universe sequence. Oh. Oh, bummer. Like, there's this, like, beautiful music playing and this incredible imagery of, like, the cosmos being formed, like, and then there's, like, I hear this fucking ridiculous like Akon featuring the Pussycat Doll song <laughs> come on and I'm just like oh, I just face palmed so hard yeah yeah the, this is a film that, that very much I, I when I went out to a 2 o'clock matinee on a Tuesday and there were still like 15 other people in the theater I felt like the jerk because I mistakenly got nachos to eat and so like nice. I, was, I was only eating when there was a lot of noise going on because I just wanted to be so respectful to the movie yeah oops I've seen it twice now, and the second time I saw it was at the Esquire Theater, which is one of the biggest, in fact, I think it is the biggest screen that we have in Denver. There's two screens at the Esquire. One is the little one, and one is the huge, huge one, and Tree of Life is playing on both of those, and I spoke with one of the managers of the theater, in fact, one of which has been on the show, Matt Morris, and uh, he and the other guy, Jerry, were telling me that when they show the film, typically, um, they've, they've, they've run into this frequently, when they show it on the smaller screen, which is kind of like a, a screen you'd see at like a, like a mall theater, you know, just kind of a boxy little stamp of a, of a screen. When they show it on the little screen, that tends to be the screening where people are talking, people are snarking, people are texting, and, you know, and basically disengaged. When people see it on the huge screen, which is where I, I took Julia and my friend Sana to see it, it, you know, it is this immersive experience. That's actually the same screen I saw 2001 on. 
And that, I mean, A, that's that's the most ideal situation. But I guess, you know, and I've already said enough about this film. I mean, I, I love it as much as, as anybody, but um, I've been telling everyone I know to go see this film. And I know that one out of the seven people I tell, for example, are, you know, are going to love it while the rest are going to scratch their heads or not like it or hate it. But this is a film that I, I really want everyone I know to see it because I want, I suspect that this film will be for them what like seeing Jean-Luc Godard's Contempt was for me. It'll be a real eye-opening experience. It'll be the film that gets them into great cinema, that gets them into something that's challenging. And no question, even if you freaking hate every minute of this movie and are bored by it, you're never going to forget it. Um, well, I saw. I, I think. Sorry to interrupt you, but okay. I think something too about it. I think the emotions in it, like it is personal for Malik, but I think things like the childhood aspect of it are like incredibly relatable for yes. pretty much anyone. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it, it doesn't matter that this film takes place primarily in the 50s. Uh, this is a movie that you're right. I mean, it, it's been touching people in so many ways because it is so psychological. I mean, it, it is like a Kubrick film. You see this film. I've seen it twice now, and there were a lot of things I picked up the second time that I missed the first time. Um, and it's not a mysterious film. It is a bit of a puzzle, but it's not a movie that's meant to be solved. It's just, you know, it's like sitting at the edge of the beach and letting the waves wash over you. It's like that. And it's the, it's as glorious as that. Well, there's one, I, I guess, something we've been saying is how every film of his has gotten more and more esoteric. Yeah. And I think, I literally think his next movie will be basically like a Stan Brackage film. Well, they, you're probably right. I mean, they said that, I mean, the report on the film, currently it's called The Burial. That'll probably, may, maybe maybe won't change. But, I mean, the producer of the film, who's also one of the producers of Tree of Life, said that Tree of Life is, what did he say? It was like a warm-up, a mere warm-up for The Burial. So maybe The Burial would be about, you know, for, kind of like a, like the previous Gaspar Noe film. Maybe it would be a first person in... Uh, look at, at dying and going to heaven or something. I don't know. Like, well, what, well, what else could he say? There's a scene in the tree of life. I think it's when Sean Penn's introduced, and it's like he's voiceover, and there's like this, just these flashes of lights on the screen, and it's exactly like a Stan Brackage film. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, like this, I feel like that is like an indication of where he's going, almost. Sure, sure. No, and I'd be curious. I mean, I, I don't know when we're going to get the burial, if that, you know, again, if that's what it's going to be called. I think as I watched this film, I've never made a secret that I don't like 2001 as a movie. I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Watching this film, while I may not still not like 2001 very much, gives me an even greater appreciation because the imagery in this film connected with me in a way that 2001 didn't. And I'm like, well, okay, again, yeah, I'm... this movie is more based in emotion Absolutely. than 2001. Definitely, is. it's more spiritual for sure. Well, it, like relating to the human spirit, not even talking about in a religion kind of way. No, no, no well, but 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 it but is it's very obvious. But it is a religious film, absolutely, in, in a sense, but not in a sense that you feel like you're being slapped. I mean, it's it's expression. I mean, the film is you know for anybody listening to this who hasn't seen Tree of Life yet is kind of on the fence of whether they want to see this film. I mean, you know, it it really is one of these things we have to go in kind of expecting a poem. Don't expect a lot of dialogue. Don't expect a plot that's linear. Even though the film does have a very core story and it is very moving. Um, but it, yeah, it's going to be a Rorschach test. It's going to be different things to different people. But no question. And, right? Yeah, uh, we were talking about the experience of watching this. But like, I, I before I saw this, I was playing around Netflix with my friend, and we were watching Spice World and goofing <laughs> around. And 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 then my met my other friend Jake, who's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. And we were just joking before the movie, and we were like really goofy. And then when it started, and just the next two hours and twenty minutes, I was just so like. We were all so silent and just like kind of like, whoa. My jaw was so. hanging agape for most of the film, I think. This film makes me happy to be alive. 
Yeah. You know? And most films you can't say that about. Um, I walked out of Transformers uh, last night and I wish I was dead. So uh, total opposite oh, did you, experience. Did you, did you yell, I wish I was dead. Wish I was dead. That's my that's my critical hyperbole right there. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, let's talk about Brad Pitt ever so briefly because I think there's been a lot of discussion about his character as the father. And some people say that he's almost abusive, and I just really didn't see. It. I saw him as a flawed man who's just kind of doing his best in a in a post World War II world. Yeah, no, I think you do need to consider the not only the this when the film is set, but as I've told you, I mean, I think he's one of my favorite movie dads. Frankly, he's complex, he's flawed, he's aggressive, he's trying to be the best dad. He's not always the best dad, and at one point, he even tells his son that you know he has this reflective moment where he he kind of sort of tries to apologize for how tough he's been. Um, and I love this guy. I loved him. I just loved him so much. I, I thought, God, these are these are really great parents because they, they remind me so much of my grandparents. They remind me so much of the th- aspects of my parents, my own parents that I do and do not love. Um, yeah, I think this is one of Pitt's most wonderful performances. And Jessica Chastain, I, who does considerably less, I thought she was terrific she's too. She's amazing. I thought Pitt, that's, it's easily the most I've ever seen him disappear into a character. Like when he's wearing those big yeah. glasses and playing the piano, like I never for a second thought, that's the guy from uh, Cool World. <laughs> well, and it, I don't know if you guys have dug through the special features on uh, Inglorious Bastards, but there's a part where he does an interview with Tarantino, uh, and they're talking to Elvis Mitchell. And there's a part where he's talking, where Elvis is talking to him about you know the set jaw that he has and the way he talks and all that. And it's very clear that that Pitt is going to thrive most in in a method type role. And when he has the complete costume, like you said, when he puts on those horn rim glasses and he's got the the outfit and everything and he completely understands that character in a way that I don't this might be my favorite performance of his for sure jury's still out for me because I looked at the assassination of Jesse James the other day and that movie still kicks my butt every time uh, true romance He's great. <laughs> well, you know, I, like I, I go. I was my my stock answer to that question has always been Twelve Monkeys. I love him in Twelve mm-hmm. Monkeys, but uh, but no, I mean, no question. I mean, Tree of Life. It's everybody's working on a different playing field here. I mean, the only guy, like on one hand, let me let's address this really quick. The Sean Penn aspect. A lot of critics say like that's the part of the movie that doesn't work or it isn't necessary. Blah blah blah. Uh, seeing the film a second time, and you know, it, it's not to say that it's going to be the same for everybody, but seeing it a second time, it really does feel like a part of the whole. It feels like the Sean Penn character is, in a sense, turns Malick reflecting on his life. Mm-hmm. And I think there's such poetry and beauty to the tracking shots in those scenes. And uh, I was going like to say how like Malick, because he's never done like a contemporary film before. Yeah. Like how he like filmed that, like like this was it like this just the buildings was yeah. it blew me away. Oh yeah, with the mirrored window shots. Oh my! And gosh, he does a yeah. lot of low angle shots that, in many scenes, that you know, not only present day but also in the fifties and whatnot, to evoke like the sense of a child kind of looking up at this huge, gigantic world, and also kind of evoking how humble we ought to be as as a human race because we're just a little little bit of this incredible story that's going on around us. Um, but yeah, I, I like all the scenes with Sean Penn at home, where he's clearly affected still by the death of his brother. He lights a candle, and he has this girlfriend that may or may not connect with him completely. Again, this is all this is all interpretation. There's so many different ways to take so many different parts of this film, and that's a good thing, I think. I think this film's almost honest enough. You have to wonder how much of this is autobiographical. Sure. Well, we know it's autobiographical. Malik did lose his younger brother when he was young, and you know, of course, this is the time when he when he grew up. So. Absolutely, this this may be as close to a direct autobiography as we'll ever have from Malik. One last thing, though, the dinosaurs. I I love the fact that there are dinosaurs in this movie, and it's completely straight-faced about it. 
Yeah, there's no like you know to 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 state the obvious. There's no John Williams overture. <laughs> there's not like look at the mighty. No, the first time we see a, a quote unquote dinosaur, I mean it's wounded, it's sitting on the beach, it's probably dying, and then we get the one in the forest who's just kind of nonchalantly like hi, just walking past, and then we have that moment between the two dinosaurs in the riverbank. Um, and Julia, during that scene, said, are those supposed to be like the two brothers? I'm like, that's that's a wonderful observation because it's, it is so much about like, you know, our, our interaction with one another, kind of kind of asserting our strength and also our weaknesses. You know, instead of it being like a violent encounter, it's kind of like, you know, that moment that passes yeah. between the two of them. Anyway, it's, it's almost as if the dinosaurs are as, as, as unconscious and, you know, as... Um, as as methody as the actors are you know they're just kind of like there and they're just kind of living in this space as opposed to giving these grand manner performances like even the dinosaurs are on the same playing field as brad pitt in this movie well and and one thing that really stuck with me even though i didn't have the same childhood experiences as this character did i love how honest and and really earnest the film was about this child growing up and trying to figure out whether he's going to walk down the path of nature or the path of grace yeah and it's just so I mean, Ernest really is the best way to put it, and it's so powerful. Like, there's the scene where his trust is broken with his brother. That's all I'll say. Sure. They have a scene earlier that's, you know, that that's where the trust isn't broken. And when it is broken, it's such a profound moment. It's This movie is just beautiful. Not since Stand By Me have I watched a film that, you know, again, like even though it's taking place in a completely different ac- decade from when I grew up, I mean, I completely relate to this. You guys have broken a window before, right? Have you guys done that or? I've not. Okay, I've done uh, I still, I still do it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's see another example. Have you guys ever gone into a house where no one else was there? I've done that. Have you done? Yeah, that? yeah. Yeah, I've done that. It's a scary experience. The movie taps into that. Have you ever stolen something and then hidden it because you were too afraid to admit that you stole something? Yeah, yeah, yeah like, like you know, again, there are like, universal themes. Exactly, exactly. And, and I that think, like I was saying, how I think this is universal, but I still, I'm still think it needs to be set in the '50s because I think it was, it was set now. Like all the kids, they wouldn't be playing outside; they'd just be, you know, like playing Xbox. And... No, no question. It is, it is a, both a time of innocence and a time of discovery where it's like, you know, this, this is before stuff was taboo, and yet there are, you know, things about us that we'll always find taboo, and the movie taps into that, and it, you know, that also relates to how the kids relate to the parents. On one hand, you know, they, they love the mother, they see her as angelic, the movie sees her angelic, but clearly, you know, the kids take advantage of the mother, the kids, you know, like, disobey the mother, and the father is both this, this force of nature and this really tender man. One of my favorite moments in the movie, I told you, Dave, is where uh, Brad Pitt, Mr. O'Brien is showing his son the mistake he did on the lawn and the kid just kind of breaks character for a moment and just hugs him and and just has this beautiful moment with him and then Brad Pitt you know jumps back and is saying okay well you know don't don't screw that up over there yeah. <laughs> you know it's just it's just so many moments that are just so much about human nature and about just really unguarded raw honesty absolutely I think I'm with Ethan I don't see any movie overtaking this as my number one film of the year, just because... Way, whoa, better than Green Lantern. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, when a film connects with me on, on such a personal and emotional level, my my best, closest example is probably The Fountain. You know, it, it is a flawed film, but the fact that it connected with me on such an emotional level is why the primary reason why it was my number one film that year. Well, a psychological to be honest, I think this movie is a million times better oh, than absolutely. The Fountain. Oh, absolutely. I like The Fountain. The Fountain wishes it was this movie, and I say it's still liking The Fountain, but this movie is just so profound in every way, I think. I think this is going to be a movie, you know, not to turn the course of this this conversation, because I'm, I'm glad we're, we're all digging this movie as much as we are, but I suspect this movie, by the end of the year, is going to be one of these movies that's going to be very popular to not like. Absolutely. I could really see, like, everybody turning on this movie very quickly, especially the wide. 
Yeah, I, I you won't hear that from me, but yes. I think it's very important, your mindset going into this kind of film. If you go into it expecting to be entertained, and oh, it doesn't, if it doesn't entertain me in five minutes, I'm going to start making fun of it, you're going to hate this movie. If you're open to an experience, and you're actually open to it, I think this film is very rewarding. But I, I'm, even then, I, I don't, won't really blame people if it doesn't connect with them. Because it's such a personal film to me. But, you know, it, and I appreciate you saying that, Dave, but, you, you know, and, I, and this is not even me disagreeing with you. Like, I, I find this movie so entertaining myself. Like, for me, every great movie has at least one or two scenes that you could say, okay, you know, whatever, the the clock scene from Benjamin Button or the scene in, uh, to go with Fincher examples, where Jake Gyllenhaal goes down in the basement and, and finds that he might encounter the Zodiac Killer. But, like, whether it's the dinosaur sequence or, this, or the child being born or the birth of the universe, to me, there's so many scenes in this movie that are just so enjoyable and fun to watch just like just on a, on a completely mindless summer movie level yeah you know like enough. you know because like i find yeah i do find this movie profound and poetic and all those things but for me like it's just such a kick-ass movie you know fair enough so so we all think people everyone should see this movie pretty i much. sincerely hope everybody sees this movie even <laughs> even people who hate it i hope they see it it's I something really that you'll never see like this in the theater yeah, it's again. such a unique precious experience that i never i can't say i didn't know what to expect going into this film i hoped it would be as good as it was and it was so much better and i, I just i think this movie is going to rock people's socks no matter what they think of it okay all right well going from the great the cinematic the glorious let's go ahead and talk about what hit theaters this weekend this weekend you had tom hanks his first film behind the camera since that thing you do it's called larry crown and also stars julia roberts and transformers dark of the moon Mm. dark of the moon i'll say quickly i saw larry crown and i thought uh i mean (laughs) maui time actually put this as their header for the article i said it was awesomely lame and i completely stand by that (laughs) Awesome. It's weird because when I saw the trailer for that, I'm like, this is the kind of shit Barry would love. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hated Larry Crown so much. Um, and I, I'm someone who loved that thing you do. I think it's adorable. I love that movie still, um, yeah. Yeah, I really do. I think that thing you do is a great movie. But, uh, you know, Larry Crown is so bad. It's so, And, you know, it's so bad that I would put it in the bracket of, like, early Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks movies like, like The Man with One Red Shoe or The Money Pit. You know, just, like, really bad Tom Hanks comedies. It's just, it's so awesomely corny and ridiculously syrupy and cutesy poo like the best parts of the movie are are very barely related to the movie subplot involving george takei or george takei however i keep forgetting i keep saying it wrong but he's the best part of the movie but like this movie manages to have takei and pam greer and cedric the entertainer all in the same movie and it just wastes everybody it's just just a terrible waste of time don't bother seeing this movie no matter how much you like tom hanks but is it better than transformers let's just do you like that segue oh gosh i will remember transformers i won't remember larry crown in fact i have a hard time remembering i even saw larry crown um, but I will not forget sitting through Transformers. <laughs> All right, Ethan, what did you think of Transformers? I see it tomorrow. So, so, so it's it's Friday night. Uh, my roommate, he's at work. He works overnight, and I'm sitting in my underwear, drinking beer, and watching Batman the Animated Series. Woohoo! And I and I get a, a text from my my aforementioned friend Jake. He's like, "We should go see Transformers." You're like, why? Well, we, we kind of, we like have been making fun of Michael Bay like in the entire past year in like film class. We just sit there and shoot the shit about, you know, Michael Bay and whatnot and the racist robots. So I uh, go to the theater to see it with him and uh, we sit there for the two and a half hours or whatever. I um, It ends. We uh, finish our six pack we smuggled in and... Uh, <laughs> 
I, it's weird thinking about this movie because if you remember the second one the, when we talked about that, right? Like how angry I was. Yes. 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 This movie, honestly, I just like I really felt nothing about it. Like it was just like, well, yeah, okay. Let me see if you if you agree with me here on this, Ethan. I like. Uh, I don't even want to use the word like, but I. Uh, I Tolerate. <laughs> No, I mean, because it's not even in a positive context. I think Dark in the Moon is worse than Revenge of the Fallen just because unlike Revenge of the Fallen, which is so awesomely, aggressively terrible and insipid, I thought uh, uh, Dark in the Moon, Transformers 3, I'm just going to call it. I think Transformers 3 is just such a dull film. I was bored in the way most audiences are going to be bored watching Tree of Life. I was so freaking bored with this movie. Uh, I was too, but the beer and my friend Jake, who was <laughs> laughing along the movie with me, was what kept me interested. And I took like five bathroom breaks. Oh, there you go. Well, smart man. I sat through the whole thing. Like 90 minutes. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but 90 minutes and, and nothing really happens for 90 minutes. I mean, the, the, the lead up to all the action is great, so Great comedy. Great comedy. <laughs> God, you just broke the sarcasm meat over here. Yeah, just just dreadful, dreadful stuff. Um, you know, you expect bad performances from Shia LaBeouf and Tyrese Gibson and Josh Duhamel and well, John Turturro. Tyrese is awesome. I love uh, Tyrese. Is the only character in these movies I like, just because I like Tyrese. I like him too, especially when he's in a John Singleton film. But uh, what about what about Jason Statham's girlfriend? Well, that's who that is. Yeah. I, I, I like her more than Megan Fox because she gave such an unintentionally funny performance where I think Megan Fox was clearly going for Is it because globe. of the balloon lips or No, there, there's oh, okay. there's a scene in the film where there's like, you know, neighborhoods are like blowing up around her and the camera just stays on her blank face as she's watching it and it's one of the biggest laughs I've had at a movie all year. Um, and there's a scene where she gives Megatron a pep talk, and it's as ridiculous what? as it sounds. I'm not making this up. Ethan can back me up. She gives Megatron a pep talk. and Does she say you've got the touch? She doesn't. That would have helped. Okay. But, uh, oh, but she, she had a cute British accent. She's adorable, but uh, you know, as 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 a model turned actress, she's going to be a failed actress who goes back to being a model. I mean, she's she's not really an actress, but you know, it's okay. It's not that kind of movie, clearly. Um, I don't really blame her. I do, but like all those other guys I mentioned, like you know, you expect them. Okay, fine, I'll give Tyrese a break. But like, you expect them to give bad performances because they've been bad in all these movies, even though they've been better elsewhere. But like, when John Malkovich and Francis McDormand also give bad performances in this movie, it's just it's it reminds me of like the Star Wars effect, where you've got like Samuel Jackson and Natalie Portman giving bad performances. You know, when they're like, you're like, my God, these are great actors. The one character in this movie I thought was really genuinely interesting was the Patrick Dempsey Ken character. Ken Jong? Ken Jong? No, Ken Jong. Oh, God. He's like the Getty Watanabe of this generation. Like, there's, there's like no, like, <laughs> there's like no racist caricature that he will not stoop to. Oh, my gosh. Like, um, yeah, Ken Jong has arguably, arguably the worst scene in the movie, but that's, that's giving the film too much credit. There really are worse scenes, but, uh, Gosh, where to go from there? I mean, I, I okay. Yeah, you mentioned all the characters, and I think that's the this is that I was talking with my friend Jake. We talked about this for a long time after the movie. This is the big problem with all three of these movies. There's nothing to latch on to. Yes, Sam Witwicky is the biggest douchebag in the history of blockbuster cinema. Yes, all the the, the robots are they all they do there is stand and spout cliches. Right. None of the other characters are interesting. There's annoying comic relief. And the thing is, like, watching this movie, I'll say in comparison to at least the, the second one I saw in 3D, is that I, like, I was, there were times when I was genuinely impressed by the special effects, and, and not on a visceral level, more on just, like, 
there's a lot of stuff going on in the frame right now. Like, that's interesting. But I still, just viscerally, I cannot be excited by two CGI things hitting each other, especially when I have just no emotional investment at all. Yes, and, and thank you. I, I have a jumping-off point. I appreciate that. I'm like, where do we go? Um, did you, you may have noticed this, too. The editing for this film is quite bad, and it's, but you, don't tend, you tend to not notice it because there's so much going on in the frame. There's a scene in the film it's an asinine scene like every other scene in the film where Sam is attacked by a Decepticon at work and he's being chased down the corridors of the of the cubicles at work and they're exploding is that, is that the bird the yeah the bird thing. thing yeah the pterodactyl whatever it is the bird thing that's chasing him and then the movie cuts immediately to him outside in the car with his girlfriend driving to see Bumblebee and you go, what the heck happened? Did he escape from the building? Did he out? Did he outrun a Decepticon? How, like, did he get fired? Like, what the heck happened? The movie never explains it. It's it's dreadful, awful editing. Uh, apparently, what? I went to the bathroom during the scene where like a rocket blew up. Okay, uh, there's a lot of that too. And then finally, to like you know, everybody's been saying like, well, you know, the, you know, everyone who likes this film, they want to give it a break, and it's okay. People like the film, but like. Um, there, the consensus is that it it's a long build up to this awesome ending, but like the ending is maybe awesome for about five minutes. It, it's like the ending. I, of the I first will one say, I two. think the paragliding through Chicago thing is actually uh, is actually pretty awesome. It was a decent. Like scene. I thought, yeah. I thought it looked beautiful. To be honest, like I honestly, it, like it took Michael Bay ten movies, but he composed a beautiful <laughs> image. <laughs> But he I, got there. I think he's great with moments. I do. Because I think even his worst movies have moments that look fine in a trailer. You know. But I, you know, I, my biggest, I'll, I'll tell you if you, maybe you didn't think of this, Ethan. Maybe I'm just getting a little too heavy handed here. But, I mean, I think the most impressively staged film is the scene where the building's falling apart. Yes, but, I agree. In 3D, it, it looked like it looked, like that's the thing. Robots hitting each other. Not interesting. But like things kind of like. People like gliding in slow motion or like things falling at you in 3D is it's interesting because Michael Bay does have talent at doing that, but just two CGI things hitting each other just is not interesting. I agree. I agree. Um, didn't the scene of the building kind of remind you of the 9/11 imagery? It sure reminded me a lot of the 9/11 imagery, which is interesting because we're 10 years out now. And I remember right after 9/11 happened, not to get too heavy handy here, but I remember people saying like, "Wouldn't it be funny if Michael Bay and eventually makes a movie about 9/11?" Well, I think he kind of did here. Well, Pearl, I, I think you could like take Pearl Harbor and just switch out like airplane pilots with like firefighters and. You could like kind of do the same movie. Well, you know, there's a scene earlier in the third Transformer movie where the sh- where a shuttle explodes, and like the way the scene is shot and lingered on, like again, like it reminded me so much of the Challenger exas- disaster. Like I swear, like he loves to take these horrific, horrific events and like you know turn them into action sequences for summer movies. Yeah, I don't. Know. I feel like I have more to say, but again, like like I said, I think compared to the second one, this is like it's at least sort of coherent. I again I had beer with me. I had a friend who was like laughing at the entire thing with me. Like anytime like Optimus Prime's voiceover just yes. like randomly came, uh. we just like we lost it. So it's not like Tree of Life voiceover? 
No, it's it's sorry. Insipid, sorry. insipid dialogue. You know, like I was thinking, what's worse that you've got actors like Hugo Weaving and Leonard Nimoy and you know whatever Peter Cullen, you know, reciting these di- reciting the, the stupid dialogue, but like you don't even see their performances; they're just embodied by these really clunky, ugly robots. Or if we had all of those actors dress up like these characters, and all of a sudden it looked like the villains from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers TV show, like <laughs> you know, waving their fists in anger as they recite dialogue and giving real gesturing big performances i mean i think that would have been a better film oh i was gonna oh, i can't, can't forget to mention the great still that such that powerful scene where like he's driving through this crush destruction that amazing like powerful lincoln park song plays oh my like, gosh the, yeah like talk about a movie that feels like a trailer for itself there are so many moments where like now for a selection from the transformers 3 soundtrack there are so many moments like where the, where the soundtrack randomly blares in just little snippets so that you go and buy the soundtrack later on wasn't there like a u2 song it's i'm embarrassed like a to song, say right? there is a u2 song it's, it's a brand new oh, u2 uh, song oh like u2 like the last like 10 years oh so brutal all right then and freaking optimus prime like you know red white and blue are his colors all right and this movie is clearly in love with america in a in a really like you know real passionate crush kind of way in a a team america kind of way team wear kind of way okay like something i talked to julie about walking out of the movie like if you know like we've talked about this before how these movies like represent the worst in like american cinema no question and this movie you know with its i mean like it is in love with our military and in love with our gung-ho-ness the way top gun is but like optimus prime if he is like the stand-in for all that is america because clearly i mean he's like captain america the way he's the way he's attired if you want to put it that way he is such a bastard he is ripping people's (laughs) heads off the whole movie and he switches sides he's cunning he gives long boring speeches he's long-winded i mean optimus prime is like everything that is awful about this country you know okay one scene i forgot to mention another amazing scene uh make was it megatron and the zebras Oh yes, I remember that scene. Right, that was great. <laughs> oh, you're really just kind of setting my expect. You're setting the bar lower and lower for tomorrow. So well, you know, I will say, yep. 3D looked good. It's slightly, slightly better than the last movie, but I think it's just as bad as the first one. I really do, and I, I can't give this movie any kind of a pass because I just thought it was just so idiotic. And I mean, the, all of these movies, like they're they're too stupid for most adults, but they're too scary and violent and profane and sleepy. Yeah, for I should say like I, like I I've, obviously I have nothing wrong with vulgarity, but in something you know that's made basically for kids, you know, to sell toys. Why are they like saying dickhead and shit and right? I mean, like, like the Green Lantern in comparison is like a G-rated film next to this film. Nice. And I know I, I'll I'll end my thought on this. Sorry to ramble so much about Transformers, but like, and I know I've said this before on this show, but these once again, it's an example of a movie that doesn't have any identity. It's trying to be all things to all people. It has been market tested and and just like you know designed to appeal to every single member of the audience, and it ends up really appealing to none except anybody who's expecting the lowest common denominator, and that's what this is. All right. Well, shall we move on to that? I think we've, we've talked enough about that. Let's go ahead and talk about what is hitting DVD this week. DVD this week, we've got 13 Assassins, the acclaimed film from Takashi Miyake. I've seen the film. I like it a great deal. Heck of an action movie. Um, let's see, Eureka Season 4.0. 
Um, the Critically Acclaimed of Gods and Men with uh, Lambert Wilson and Michael Lonsdale. It's supposed to be an excellent film. Uh, definitely check it out. I've heard it's one of the best of the year. Das Boot, the acclaimed submarine thriller. In fact, arguably the greatest submarine thriller ever made by Wolfgang Peterson. Hobo with a Shotgun, a title that needs no explanation, starring Rucker Hauer. Apparently, it is the un... Well, it's like, it's one of the little known, but apparently it's still official part of the Grindhouse film trilogy, trilogy, if you want to call it that, the Grindhouse film selection, um, starring Rucker Hauer and acclaimed performance. The Cape, the complete season. <laughs> yep. Nice. There you go. The PJ, yep. season two, Eddie Murphy is back. Uh, trailers from Hell Volume 2 can't go wrong there got all these great film directors talking about all these cheesy movies via the trailers giving a little mini history lesson and, a and, pers- and on top of all that commentary. you also get an anamorphic transfer of the Jack Nicholson Little Shop of Horrors film like the full film that's great for 16 bucks it's a good deal. It's yeah. a good deal. No, I love trailers from hell. I go to that site all the time. Um, basically, every Pixar movie ever made is getting re-released this week. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Like, it, you're gonna see a whole bunch of new stuff. Like, if it's out on on Blu-ray or, or DVD right now, if it's out on Blu-ray, it's getting a re-release. I think maybe except for Incredibles because it's just too soon. But the theory, there are two theories going around around this. One, because there's no digital copies, Disney just dropped them because people, they didn't want people complaining when they expire. But more importantly. This gives Disney an opportunity to charge five bucks more than the DVD version, or the even the Blu-ray version, and you get both copies, and it drops them down to one SKU. Instead of, having, instead of stores having to carry both a DVD and a Blu-ray, they just carry one, which saves self, shelf space. Hmm. Because you do have a lot of big box retailers cutting back on what they're carrying. So, cool. Yeah, not really, but you know, whatever. Huh. Well, you know, yeah, it's interesting stuff because uh, you know this stuff is going to be re-released forever. And I think it's a trend we're going to see more and more often. Yes, I do. Um, before I announce the crap title of the week, would you please pull up the the cast list? Oh crap! Because I assume it's going to be a good cast list. I apologize. I should have asked oh, you earlier. Oh man, you know, no, it's no one. There's no one in this movie. I don't think. Really? Not even the previous star? Okay. No, because the, they changed between movies. They okay. Had different. They've had different. Okay, I have no idea. Well, anyway, let's get to it. The crap title of the week. Uh, Dave picked this one, and once again, Dave does not disappoint when he picks a crap title of the week. Blood Rain 3, The Third Reich, directed and written by Sir Uwe Boll. Starring, not, not, not just Blood Rain, whatever. She's been played by three different actresses now. But it has Clint Howard playing a Nazi scientist trying to figure take, take the, the properties of vampirism to turn Hitler into an immortal. That sounds good, too. I would see that, especially with Clint Howard. Anybody else we know? Or? No, not really. But Chris Donald Loken is not in this. No, no. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, no, Brendan Fletcher, that's about it. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's... that's. Bull does not disappoint with his awfulness. Yeah, I do believe that, that he cameos as Hitler. So yeah, typecasting. Okay. All right, let's move on to news real quick. I know you got one thing you just wanted to get out, Barry. Yeah, one thing really quick. There's a documentary. I believe it came out in '82 or '84. I don't know which. I think '84. Called Terror in the Isles. Terror Isles as an Isle seat. Terror in the Isles. I mean, it loosely called a documentary. I mean, it was basically a very lazy but extremely entertaining film put out by Universal Studios. All it is is a string of all the scary scenes from all the scary movies. You know, everything from Psycho, Alien, Halloween, Jaws, uh, American Werewolf in London. Like just just tons and tons of clips that are uh, connected thematically like the the sexual clips the teenager clips the horror movie clips the, the classic horror movie clips and what bridges them together are these scenes of Donald Pleasance and Nancy Allen playing themselves in a movie theater introducing each set of so clips so it's like that's entertainment 
Yes, well, with horror films. Wow. And it is, it's hilariously clunky whenever it, it focuses on them because they're in this movie theater. I mean, for one thing, it looks like the skeeziest theater ever. And they're surrounded by extras, this being the 80s. I mean, the extras who were in the theater with them, they look like they could have been a part of the Warriors. I mean, like, just hilarious. So, like, it, it, it is, it's not a great movie, but, man, it's fun. And it's referred to as a documentary, which is such a, such a, just a disgraceful use of the term. Anyway, it's never been released on DVD because the rights to all the the, the dozens and dozens and dozens of clips that are in this movie. Um, but now, apparently, it's getting a release, but in a really weird way. Um, September 13th, Halloween 2 is being given a 30th anniversary DVD and Blu-ray release. And Terror in the Isles is a bonus feature on that release. Yeah, so I mean, okay. I think most people like me who actually you know enjoy Terror in the Isles for what it is would would buy it outright. But it is now strictly just a bonus feature on the new Halloween Two disc that's coming out, and then the Rick Rosenthal 1981 Halloween Two, not the Rob Zombie. Fair enough. Okay, um, what I've got is apparently th- this. I would actually be fascinated to see. There's apparently a Rod Sterling biopic that's in development right now. Considering how influential he was on on the way television movies are written and made, it's an incredible life story. Um, I'll say really quick the way I mean, like I read uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes years ago, the life of Rod Serling. He was in the war. He had been uh, separated from his troop. He and his buddy were just kind of walking around, you know, searching for the enemy or their 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 platoon mates. I mean, these guys are lost. You know, these soldiers they're running out of food, running out of water. They see an American plane overhead. They're like, oh, thank God, we're saved. And they fail in their celebration to realize that the Americans have dropped a box of supplies and it falls on Rod Serling's friend and kills him instantly. And apparently it was that moment that Rod Serling thought, how ironic, the moments in life that are so horrible and so ironic. And apparently Rod Serling has indicated that that was the moment that made him truly realize just how cruel and remarkable life can be with its truly cruel ironies. And that's what inspired him to write The Twilight Zone. Anyway. So in the movie, it would be like, he'd, that happened to be like, it's like a Twilight Zone. Then he'd look at the camera. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> well, the, well, let's see. The original. I mean, I, I'm a total Twilight Zone geek, so I talk about this forever. I mean, it, it had a different. Uh, it had a different title. I mean, Twilight Zone is something that came up in a conversation he had. But no, amazing life. I mean, he did that episode with uh, with again George Takai. Um, that basically uh, helped him get rid of his prejudice against the Japanese that he acquired after World War II. Um, so, I mean, this is a really amazing life story. I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be just a guy sitting at a typewriter going, wouldn't it be amazing if you're on an airplane, there's like something on the wing? This would, I think this would be a really, really rich opportunity for a film. So I, I hope they get it right. We're on. Uh, let's see what else we got. We have got... <sighs> We're getting Thor 2. Are we really? Yep. Did it, did it make its budget back even? Apparently, over I guess if you count in overseas and everything, I guess it did. So did enough people like Thor? I have no. I idea. liked I, I liked it. That's how it was. It was fairly entertaining. I mean, I'll never see it again. I'll never watch it again. But I think it's own. like way better made than like Iron Man. And isn't that isn't that the thing? Brana's not coming back. He's not. Oh, then what's the point? Wow. Okay. Yeah, because he, he his direction is the reason why I like the movie. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So, yippee. Wow. Marvel could end up getting tanking here pretty quick because if they keep underpaying and being cheapskates on stuff, then there's no point in making the movies. Well, they got to make movies that have better scripts than what they've been yeah. turning out. Speaking of which, there's talk of Green Lantern 2. I don't know that I buy it. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. I think that's... Right now, it can be a, in discussion, but no, I can't see that really going I on. I think if they were to take this where it's supposed to go for the next movie, I think it could be an amazing film. But... I, I don't see that it's going to make enough money to justify the amount, the, the scope that a sequel would need. I could see a reboot. Yeah? 
Yeah, I mean, I could see them trying and failing like they did, you know, to reboot the Hulk series, but I can't see that going with this movie. I I I suspect they're probably, like, knocking on Christopher Dolan's... They call him Dolan Nolan's (laughs) door right now. They're like, please... Well, 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 maybe we'll talk about Green Lantern next week. We're running short on time because I know all I've heard, all I've heard is, from people who've seen the movie. All they talk about is they they say how hot Blake Lively is and nothing else. I don't agree with that at all. I, I forgot. I keep forgetting she's in the yeah. movie. I forget that Tim Robbins is in the film. I no, this I think this is one of the worst films of the year. I won't go that far, but but it's definitely for me this year's poster child of wasted opportunities. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, okay, moving on. Oh, we're getting into trailer territory. Did you see the Apollo 18 trailer, the new one? I did. No. It, it looks like paranormal activity in space. Is there a lot more footage than the initial trailer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of footage. But you see, like, shadows running behind. Oh, what was that? And you're like, really? Is this Ghost Hunters in space? Really? I... Well, Bob Weinstein, you know, who's the head of Dimension Films, I mean, he insists that this is a found footage film. Like, this is the real deal. This and you is keep real wanting footage. to say this is 2011, not 1991. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's it's okay at best. Uh, we've got the Pixar trailer for The Brave. Oh. The Brave? Yeah. The Brave? Yeah, that's what I said. Isn't it just Brave or is it just Brave? Is it? My I don't bad. know. I don't know. The Brave is the Johnny Depp film. That's you're right. Yeah, least. you're right. My know. bad. My bad. It's just Brave. It's it, okay. It looks okay. I, I like that it's not a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think last last summer, I mean, like you know, I can't say I was looking forward to Toy Story three at all, and boy, did that movie prove me wrong. And I walked into Cars two with an open mind, and my mind got slammed. So I'm I'm glad that they're out of the sequel business, at least for one movie before they do Monsters University. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's okay. Uh, the one sequel trailer that looks promising is Ghost Protocol, I think. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. Um, you know, I mean, it looks a lot a lot of the same that we've already seen, but, you know, it looks like Brad Bird's made a heck of a movie. And I like that Jeremy Renner's in it, obviously. The cast looks good. I don't know what it's about, but I, <laughs> I'm definitely intrigued. It's about a ghost protocol. Ah, yes. yes. It's, the title, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, sounds like the title of the new, like, Ghost Recon game. It doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? <laughs> but I'm, yeah. ba- I'm glad it's not MI4 anymore. I'm glad it actually has I'm glad that uh, Cruz has that hair back from MI2. <laughs> His long, floppy the rock hair. star mullet. That's yes. right. His Rock of Ages hair. Wow, there it is. All right, uh, let's see. Do I have anything else that's pressing to talk about? Oh, that's it. Ethan, what you got? Oh, two more trailers. Uh, the War Horse trailer, the new Spielberg film. Yeah, yeah, Dave and I had a hard time not being cynical watching that. Yeah. It didn't help that I watched Rubber this morning, so I kept waiting for the horse to kill people with its psychic powers. I don't know why; it just it was shot very similarly. Not a problem I had, but uh, but no, uh, <laughs> very. I mean, no question, beautiful looking trailer, but I mean, it, for me, it almost felt like a parody of a Spielberg trailer. Well, and for those who don't know what War Horse is about, what's it about, Barry? It is about a young boy who raises this horse, and, you know, he has this beautiful relationship with this horse, all of the Black Stallion. The horse is sent off to uh, fight in the war, because, you know, it's, it's a war horse, and it's it's a tr- horse that's been trained to assist soldiers and whatnot. The boy actually enlists to fight in the war so that he can find his horse and reunite with him. And, and as a side note, before we just make fun of that, Right now, War Horse is playing on Broadway in a Broadway production, and it's one of the most acclaimed shows on Broadway. And the way they do because the horses, it has people in horse suits, not horse suits. It's an apparatus. It's kind of like a skeletal horse apparatus that a character wears as a mask, and it's almost like you know this is going to make it sound awful, but it's almost like a mime to to evoke what the horse is feeling or whatever. But I'm sorry, it's not guy. You guys don't know theater anyway. But anyway, apparently, it's really amazing. It's like Equus on on Broadway, supposed to be just really incredible as a Broadway show. But as a movie. You know, 
Uh, I get work. the impression this is going to be like another Empire of the Sun or Amistad where the imagery is really stunning, but it's way too long and maudlin and the John Williams music is really syrupy. And yeah. I think you can say that just about the trailer itself. You don't even have to see the movie for that. It looks it looks cornier than both of those movies, though, because I'm one of these people who defends Empire of the Sun, even though I admit it is too long and overbearing. Um, I don't know. Uh, Spielberg's clearly going for the Oscar here. I, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I'm clearly, it's just a trailer. We'll see how the movie is. All right. Well, no. Is that all you got? There's a, no, another trailer. Uh, the oh, Tinker yeah. Taylor Soldier Spy yeah. trailer. That yeah. looks good. Looking forward to that. This is the director of uh, Let the Right One In. Yay! And it's got get Benedict Cumberbatch. That's all that I needed. If it's got him, I'm 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 good. The word is that it has Gary Oldman's best performance, and I thought that's saying an awful lot. So you mentioned we'll Gary Oldman. How did I space that I saw Red Riding Hood yesterday? Oh, that movie sucked. Oh, you saw Red Riding Hood? Wow. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. You didn't think of that? I I was been trying to mentally block it. That man, I saw that. that's yeah, that's man. I couldn't forget. Yeah, okay, sorry, did. sorry. Okay, yeah, but but so. back to this movie. Yeah, this movie looks really good. So was it is she the wolf at the end? I gotta know. Oh, did you not see it? No, I haven't seen Red Riding Hood. Oh, it, man, you know, I'm trying to figure out if that or Twilight was worse. <laughs> All right, well, you can get back to me when you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you decided. Oof, yeah. Okay. So anyway, yeah, back Gary, to this movie. Gary Oldman, this movie apparently, looks good. this is this is supposed to be his Oscar film, and you know, which again, it's like really, like you know, out of all the amazing performances this guy has given us, um, but wow, what, a, what an amazing cast! As long as Colin Firth has a voice, it's okay. <laughs> John Le Carre, I mean, I love John Le Carre movies and, and his books for that matter. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Cool. All Yay. right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it so much more than crappy warhorse uh, i hope warhorse is getting you know i love spielberg i'm rooting for the guy but like between the john williams music and i just it felt like i feel like i've seen this it looks like sea biscuit with guns you know <laughs> it does it does you know visually beautiful hey good tracking shots it's hard to keep up with a horse with a camera that's not easy got to give spielberg props for that but you know i i don't know okay I, i'm still waiting for lincoln lincoln's the one i've been waiting for years to see i really want to see him tackle that that subject matter Absolutely. Okay, we'll say the Lincoln Park biopic. <laughs> That'd be cool. Oh, if only. That's going to feature clips from Transformers. Okay, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and tackle the immense subject that is our love of the Criterion Collection. Uh, but first, a word from our good friends over at Jaja.net. Thanks, Dave. Great show. At Jaja.net, that's J O N J A, we have everything to satisfy your sci fi fan needs. If you look at this chart comparing. What do you mean there's no video? They're screen geeks. They don't have a screen? Well, how am I supposed to... I hired a Cylon to tell everyone about the discussions of sci-fi television and movies past and present. I guess I won't be needing you. You can leave. I mean, come on, I had Nichelle Nichols beam in to talk about our long list of exclusive interviews, including Zachary Quinto, Amanda Tapping, and the crew of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Hailing frequencies are always open at JeanJay.net. Never mind, Miss Nichols. Thanks for coming in. I don't believe this. Oh, great. Now here comes my special guest to tell people about Johnza.net's Flash Arcade. Forget it, man. They can't even see you. Oh, well. Maybe everyone will find their way over to Johnza.net to see and hear everything for themselves. Thanks for watch- listening. Now back to Screen Geeks. That's a major accomplishment for after 35 years of <laughs> being a failed filmmaker. Lloyd Kaufman gets to be on ScreenGeeks.com. <laughs> And we're back to discuss the Criterion Collection. 
We love the Criterion Collection. It's not um, like we talk about them forever or anything. In short, if you haven't heard this show before or you know haven't heard us ramble on, I mean, my quick thing with Criterion, I mean, it's, it's a film school in a box. They take these films that are either classic or obscure or popular or something else, and they, they take these movies, and some of which you've heard, some of which you've never heard before, they remaster them, f- for the most part, to the absolute best, um, absolute master qual- quality copy, and they pile on, for the most part, they usually pile on these extras, and it's it's like everything you'd want for, for a particular title. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if you have a Criterion Collection DVD, you have the only version of the movie you're ever going to want to own in your life. Um, these guys are wonderful, and they turn out just dozens of titles every year, and they're just constantly working on new titles all the time. Um, Criterion began as a as a laser disc company. It used to put out just top quality laser discs, and of course, once that quali- once uh, the format kind of phased out, they turned to DVD, and they just continue to turn out great stuff. I mean, from the first one they ever put out, which which was for Jean uh, Jean Renoir's uh, uh, Grand Illusion, everything on. It's just, just total, total, top quality, top drawer. And we're going to talk about our favorite films that the Criterion has put out, our favorite discs that they put out, as well as our favorite discoveries and the ones they've put out that we gave a shot and weren't that happy. Not everything's going to be a winner for everyone. Not everything, no, no. But uh, I mean, for the most part, I'll, I mean, I'll just say quickly. I mean, like I, I, when I put it on a Criterion disc, I tend to expect to love the movie, whatever, whatever I'm going to watch. And for the most part, it, I, they don't disappoint. Very true. There, there was a point in time in my life where if it was a Criterion, I was going to buy it. I was like, it's worth buying because it's on Criterion. Yes. Uh, well, I feel like uh, that's the thing. I love, obviously, I love Criterion, but I feel for collectors, it kind of becomes like a who, you know, like a who's got the biggest collection kind of competition. Like it's more, it's it's less about the movies and it's more about, well, I've got this. That's what I started off at myself. Um, I, it was essentially, you know, my, my Criterion collection was definitely the prestige part of my collection. And I've since, you know, gotten rid of some Criterions because, you know, I just don't need to own it, you know, for whatever reason. Or sometimes they're just worth so stinking much. I had, um, shoot, Kony Chikawa's uh, Tokyo Olympiad. I picked it up for like 35 bucks sealed. And I'm like, I really kind of want to watch this, but oh, wait, it's going for $150 on eBay. I'm going to go ahead and sell that. You never watched it? Shit. Nope. I might at some point. I think it's on Hulu. Hmm. Stupid Hulu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ethan, you said you had a top ten list of your favorite criterions. Why don't you go for that? I, I, I didn't prepare one, but I'm curious to see what, what yours is. Okay, let's do like a drum roll thing between each one, okay? Okay. Ten is Naked by Mike Lee. Should I explain why or should we just go Please explain it? why. No, no, let's hear it. Uh, yeah, this is a, a film which is very, it's a reflection of uh, kind of a Margaret Thatcher England and how people reacted to that and it, all through uh, one man named Johnny, um, magnificently played by David Thewlis and uh, as he kind of goes through uh, the, the kind of lower, lowest middle class parts of London and, and tries to make sense of his life and I, I find it Again, this movie is very dark, but I think it has a lot of humanity to it and biting satire. And of course, uh, David Thewlis gives a truly incredible performance. So, on to the next one. Number nine. Drum roll. Uh, my number nine is Jean Renoir's The Rules of the Game. Uh, Renoir always just his camera, always just constantly moving. So many characters, so much things to keep up with, but a great sense of humor, a great sense of satire. Um, just incredibly written. So, on to the next one. Number eight. 
is uh, <laughs> Jules and Jim by uh, Francois Truffaut. Uh, truly kind of like, obviously the French New Wave was in full swing at the time, but this to me almost feels like him kind of almost taking it to a next level in terms of what he does with the film. And even though he's doing all these cinematic techniques at the same time, it's a very touching and true story about friendship and love and whatnot. Next one. Number seven. Uh, my uh, number seven is uh, Jim Jarmusch's Stranger Than Paradise, a Ozu-like comedy. It's it's just very deadpan, very slowly shot, but something about it is so incredibly compelling, and it kind of uh, it teach it's uh, it's even though it's a comedy, it's very subdued, and it's about it's it is still in a way about people who hide their emotions, but it is very funny at the same time. So on to the next one. Number six. And next is uh, Jacques Tati's Playtime, a two-hour film with barely any dialogue in it and just showing uh, the classic Monsieur Hulot character going through this building and him commenting on postmodern architecture and society. And it is visually just out there. So, yeah, I love that film. On the next one. Number five. My number five is uh, John Cassavetes' A Woman Under the Influence. A two and a half hour cinema verite family drama that is has so many emotions in it at all at once and is so it doesn't kind of stop to like make easy points or whatnot and it doesn't really resolve in an easy way and Gina Rollins and Peter Falk are incredible in it. So on to the next one. Number four. Uh, it's Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven, which we talked about a few weeks ago, or was it like a month? About a ago. month ago, because because we've done like yeah, we took a couple weeks off, so yeah, it's about a month. So on to the next one, mm, number three. Number three. So my number three is uh, Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, an incredibly personal movie, but uh, at the same time uh, so entertaining, so beautiful, so funny about so many different things all at once, and uh, yeah, I quite enjoy it. On to the next one, number two. Uh, this would be uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Perot Le Fou. Um, his, probably his most out there film. Maybe not quite as out there as some of his political films, which are very esoteric. But this is just him. Every scene is like almost just him with all these ideas of what to do. And it's consistently entertaining and funny and a comment on cinema. And I quite enjoy it. On to And now the final one. And number one. My number one film in the Criterion Collection is Michelangelo Antonioni's La Ventura, uh, a very emotionally draining film about alienation and whatnot, and ennui and whatnot. And I remember seeing this movie on a Thursday night, on a school night at like 11, and it's a two and a half hour movie, and just being so blown away by it, by how accurately it captured certain emotions and how Antonioni is so just kind of aloof, but at the same time, so compassionate. So that's my list. Great list. Dave? Well, I don't have like a top 10. Okay. I have films that, the way I broke down my list were films I discovered because they're Criterion. Films that I watched that that were recommended to me, but I was like, well, maybe I'll watch it. Oh, it's a Criterion, I'll watch it. And then films, well, I watched them because they were a Criterion and I was pretty let down. So, okay. Um, so start up, please start off with your favorites. We'll, we'll just quickly do our favorites. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite, uh, I, you know that a film is your favorite when you remember the circumstances around you buying it. Yes. This was my, it's a criterion and it's cheap? Sure, I'll buy it. 
I went into a CD warehouse before they got shut down for selling stuff that was stolen. Uh, but they had a few Criterions there, and there was this one that had Veronica Lake, like this caricature on it, called Sullivan's Travels. I was like, sure, why not? It's 17 bucks. They're like 40 bucks usually. Sure, I'll give it a shot. And I took it home, and obviously it's my favorite film of all time. Uh, it's it's really a film about finding true happiness in, in life, no matter what life deals you. And not necessarily taking life too seriously, is the, although you know, as much as we love Tree of Life and everything, there's also something to be said for making people laugh. And I just, that, that film connected to me on such a personal level. I just, I adore that film for all time. Um, one that I'm going to bring up because I have no idea where else it would go, I'm going to say Michael Bay's The Rock. <laughs> because I think it is my favorite film that he did. Hmm. But you, you, you talked about how Criterion puts it out. It's the definitive edition. Yes. That's definitely the case in this. It's a two-disc set. It, the, the original, like the regular like Universal disc or whoever it is, is like Touchstone. It's, touchstone. Mm-hmm. it's got the movie and a trailer and that's it. Whereas this has got like a, a sight and sound behind the visual effects special feature. The film's in DTS audio, which sounds amazing on my sound system. It's just got all kinds of special features that really, I don't know, it makes me enjoy the film even more. So okay. that's the, I'm just going to throw it out there just because I have no idea where else it's going to fit. Uh, I also discovered The Blob because of this, hmm. because of this series. Nice. I was like, oh, I like Steve McQueen. Oh, it's The Blob. Sure, I'll give it a shot. I ended up picking it up for like 10 bucks or something. And it's such a goofy, fun movie. Like the, What I love about Criterion is that, yes, they have incredibly serious films in it, but they have fun stuff too. And oddly enough, as much as I, I own a lot of the serious stuff, I love the, the fun stuff too. Uh, Charade by Stanley Donnan. Yeah. I, it's you know it's it's Hepburn and Grant in it, it's a perfect movie as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing wrong with that film that I can find anywhere. Um, let's see what else we got here. I don't know if you guys have seen the bo- the box set for Monsters and Mad Men. No, it's a bunch of old school like horror movies and sci-fi movies. Hmm. There's a I think it's a Boris Karloff movie on there called Quarters of Blood. That you just think it's a horror movie, whatever, and it turns about to, out to be this story about a, a doctor in like the 1800s or something, who is a surgeon and is is bound and determined to find a way to be able to operate on people without causing so much pain. And he's actually the one who comes up with anesthetic. I mean, yeah, and yeah, anesthetic, and to knock the the patients out or numb the area so that it's not so excruciating. And I'm like, this is such a high concept for a horror movie, and I just love that. It's worth the, the price of the box set for that by itself, I think. Cool. Uh, let's see. Some lesser-known movies. Sisters. That yes. Was, oh, yeah. Yes. Love it. Such a fantastic movie that, that takes on... I mean, it's it's the Hitchcock movie they didn't make, I think. One of one of them. Kind of like you could you could make the same argument for Charade. Mm-hmm. Uh, other ones that, that aren't quite so well-known, um, The Horse's Mouth, starring Alec Guinness. Yeah. A very interesting comedy about an artist whose whose sole his sole responsibility is to the art, and that's it. And it's done in a very humorous way. I really enjoyed that film. Um, there are two Kurosawa films that I discovered because of this. One is The Hidden Fortress, because I'd heard about the roots in Star Wars, in which obviously R two and C three PO. That's yeah, it's everywhere. And uh, Yojimbo. Hmm. That's yeah. probably one of the funnier movies I've seen, and I think it's the best take on that material even beyond was it is it fistful of dollars fistful of dollars last and the last standing, thing standing yeah. this was done with such a wink and a smile to it too that's just had such a gleeful maniac feel behind it that I, I loved it and let's see i'll just throw one more out there um you only have one more anyway and that would be smiles of a summer's night which is nice such a it's so many of of bergman's films are so serious that it's fun to see kind of a screwball comedy 
It's kind of like seeing Hitchcock's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. It's such a dispar- departure, it's a very pleasant surprise. Very nice. Very so, nice. Yes. My favorite uh, criterions, both in terms of the films and uh, the discs attached to them, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, you mentioned, like, you know, what a mind-blowing experience uh, Sullivan's Travels was for you. Uh, Contempt, for me, uh, that was the film yes. that really introduced me not only to new way filmmaking, and but basically to just how incredible and eclectic art films give me in general, and as well as international films. So Jean-Luc Godard's Contempt, it's amazing, it's brilliant. Bridget Bardot is naked in it. Everybody needs to see this film. What's so amazing about that is the the, the term naked has such a different connotation right. in that film as it yes, does to films yes. today. I say that with a wink because uh, the, the, the scene isn't just about that, but you need to see the film. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's a perfect film. Uh, one of my favorite movies, Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop. That disc, even though it, it's a great disc in addition to being a magnificent film. I think the best film of 1987, to tell you the truth. Um, but yeah, check out the disc. It's excellent. Um, the first oh. film that Criterion ever put out in DVD, I still think is one of the greatest films ever made. That's Jean Renoir's uh, Grand Illusion. Oh gosh, this is such a beautiful and touching and funny film about about war. Frankly, uh, check it out, see it. It's great. Um, what a gift Criterion did when they released the Brazil collection. Yeah, that was yeah. Brazil. The theatrical version, the version we talked about. We'll talk a little bit more about this. So the differences between the versions, but theatrical version, the uncut version, and then of course the Love Conquers All version. Um, they really make you understand why it's important to see all three versions to really Does understand. Did it have all three? I thought it had just the director's cut and the Love Conquers All. Three version. actually. Three okay. versions in, in the in the one you cut in the one you have. Yeah, it's three. Okay. It's three. It's three DVDs. Um, yeah. So check it out because they've uh, they really make you understand the the battle that Gillian went through as well as just how oh, magnificent yeah. this movie is in its uncut form. It's. I think it's probably the best film set ever that actually explains the context of a film. Yeah. It's rare that you get something like this. It's pretty terrific. Uh, Shortcuts. One of my favorite films from Robert Altman. Uh, the DVD has an interview with Robert Altman and Tim Robbins as well as a lot of celebration of Raymond Carver, the author whose stories the film is based on. Excellent. Uh, Lasse Hallstrom's My Life is a Dog. This is one of my favorite films ever growing up as a kid. Definitely one of my favorite movies about boyhood. A great film. Check it out. Robert Altman's Three Women. This is a film that he made based on a dream he had, and it plays that way. And his uh, commentary in the film is wonderful, just wonderful. And it stars uh, Shelley Duvall and Sissy Spacek. It's magnificent. It's one of the best films Altman ever did. Very few people have seen it. What a discovery. What a treasure of a film. Ethan mentioned Neil Jordan earlier. My favorite Neil Jordan film is easily Mona Lisa uh, with Michael Caine and Bob Hoskins and Cicely Tyson. Love Mona Lisa. Great DVD that has a terrific commentary on it by by Bob Hoskins and Neil Jordan. Magnificent film. Definitely a great forerunner to the crying game. Uh, Carnival of Souls, a horror film that was made in Kansas. Cheapo film, but man, Herc Harvey's film still is very creepy. The DVD of this is excellent. They go back to all the locations where the film was shot now, and they go back. Um, there's it just slews of documentary footage. Love it. Perfect. Absolutely terrific. The Harder They Come, the Jimmy Cliff action crime film. Um, excellent film. Uh, more of a social drama than anything, but a uh, great film about life in Jamaica. And God bless Criterion for putting this on DVD. Just terrific. Let's see. Chasing Amy, very good DVD, I must yes, say. Uh, Chasing Amy is still my favorite uh, film. Are we really getting into Kevin Smith movies? Absolutely. I think this is his best film, and I think they did a good job of putting it out. I think it's a great DVD. Sorry. I, I, I just, I'm just saying when you have like this this line that has like Jean Renoir and Ingmar Bergman <laughs> and John Cassavetes. And... You know, I brought up, uh, to be fair, I did bring up Michael Bay, so I think I kind of opened the door there. I'll bring, okay, I'll mention just a couple more. Fine. Go back to the arts. Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, one of the greatest fantasy films of 
all time, if not of all time. Magnificent, looks great in Criterion. The 400 Blows, Francois, Francois Truffaut, I screwed that up. His magnificent film about growing up in sadness. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. Definitely check it out. Brief Encounter, one of my favorite films from David Ooh. Lean. Gorgeous love story, just shattering and so moving. Check that out, beautiful. And my favorite film from Igmar Bergman, which is Wild Strawberries. Um, anybody who is a teacher like myself can relate to this film in so many ways. Beautiful, touching film. And there is one film I forgot to bring up, Fritz, Fritz Lang's M. Yeah. I think is one of the most astounding thrillers of all time. And yeah, the Blu-ray has the American version of it. That's, That's what's right. so odd. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm like, wow. But, yeah. When they go out of their way to find stuff that, like, as a film fan, you know, you want this stuff. You want to see this stuff. And, I mean, even, uh, like, one of your favorite movies, Dave, uh, The Devil and Daniel Webster. They've got yes. the radio recording, of, a broadcast of a radio recording of a re- reading of that, that story. I mean, it's like, you want this as a completist. Mm-hmm. Yes, if you if you love a movie, you hope and pray it comes out on Criterion. Do you want to like quickly run through some of our favorite discoveries? Well, that's yeah. what I did. with pretty much was my discoveries. I, okay. So yeah, go for it, guys. Uh, one I wanted to mention is something we watched in class was uh, Alan Renee's last year at Marion Bad. Have you guys seen this? I have not. No. I keep seeing well, it at the, at the watch this movie, scene. then tell me that Inception is like a complex discussion <laughs> of dreaming and so, the psychology of the human mind. Okay. <laughs> I. Okay. <laughs> Don't hold back, Ethan. Uh, some other ones. Uh, I rec- uh, some Stan Brackett shorts. Like uh, I recently saw his film, uh, The Act of Seeing with One's Own Eyes, which is 35 minutes of him filming various autopsies, and it's as graphic as it sounds. And like you see, like uh, faces, people's faces being pulled over and ribs being broken open, and. Uh, he explained how it was his reaction to how he was afraid of having never seen a dead body. And that's what I love about Brackage's films, how personal they are. And another film by his, uh, Window Water Baby Moving, which is him filming his wife giving birth, is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So, Very good. I recommend that. And uh, some other ones. Uh, Jean, some of Jean-Pierre Melville's films, like Le Cercle Rouge and Le yeah. Samurai. Yep. Incredible films. Uh uh, uh, Nicholas Rogue's Bad Timing, a personal favorite of mine. Mm. Yeah, I think one too. of his best films. Uh, La Haine by Matthew Kasovitz, which, uh, though I will say it's kind of ruined by Jodie Foster's intro where she truly shows how white she is. <laughs> where she's talking about like hip hop music. She's like, well, in France, you know, where they have like that kind of music. So. <laughs> Poor and um, some other ones. Uh, Catherine Berlay's uh, Fat Girl. One yeah. of the best depictions of teenage sexuality ever. Braille. Braille. My French roommate is uh, explaining how to pronounce her name. Thanks, Alex. He said thanks. Um, some other ones. Uh, Noah Baumbach's Kicking and Screaming, which is an incredibly funny movie. Uh, Eyes Without a Face, one of my favorite horror films. Uh, Tarkovsky's Ivan's Childhood, another great film about being a kid. Uh <laughs> Robert Altman's Secret Honor. Yeah. I think the film. best film ever made about Richard Nixon. Uh, have you ever seen Man Bites Dog? Not yet. I've been warned about that one. Should I see that? It's one of those things where I was so intrigued by the cover art. Yeah. It was like, and I was like, oh my God. And it is quite good. So okay. I'd recommend that one. Uh, the Battle of Algiers and the great film. Mm, yeah. uh, Samuel Fuller's films like Shock Corridor, one of my favorite films of all time, one of the strangest things I've ever seen, but incredibly entertaining and funny. Uh, Fellini's Amarcord, another personal film. We've been talking about those a lot this yeah. episode, but very entertaining. 
uh, all of Cassavetti's films. Um, Brand Upon the Brain. Brand Upon the Brain by Guy Madden. Great film. Uh, Ang Lee's The Ice Storm. Hmm. Uh, Steve McQueen's Hunger, which featured the best male acting performance of 2008 from Michael Fassbender. And uh, I also really like Lars von Trier's Europa, but I'm, and I'm just going on and on. So you guys should get to talk. Okay. All right. Barry wants to kick a few. Also, yeah, there. I'll just mention a few. And uh, I, was, I thought Ethan was going to mention White Dog, too, which was such a, such yes, a, yes. what a shock oh, of a surprise. That movie is, that movie's insane, but what a, what a, what a great film. That's what I need to put on my list. I keep, for, I keep forgetting. Yeah, White Dog's great. There. I got to say, like, like uh, Ethan's description of it, I thought that. Is that real? Does that even exist? And I saw the film, and uh, yeah, it, it's pretty nuts. It takes a lot of chances. I don't know if every chance works, but my gosh, I'm grateful that that film exists because it's it's not like anything else you've seen. Um, we already mentioned Sisters, so I won't mention Sisters, but that was such a wonderful discovery. I'd never seen it prior to to going my way to find the Criterion. Robert Altman's Tanner 88, which is admittedly, it's a, it's a miniseries that he did for HBO, but a wonderful political satire, really strong. Um, the original title is Andy Warhol's Dracula. It was available for a while on Criterion, as blood for Dracula, this is Udo Kier as Dracula. It is an, it is bug nuts as insane as you as, as as you would imagine. It was originally shot in 3D. It is kinky. It is disgusting. It is bizarre. It is wonderful, wonderful. Check out Blood for Dracula. Uh, Kwai Den, Kwai Don rather, excuse me, Kwai Don, the Japanese anthology horror film, which is absolutely terrific. Um, with Nail and I, uh, with Nail and I, the Bruce Robinson comedy with uh, with a, a incredible performance, incredible performance of Richard A. Grant. Check that out. Um, From Spice World. That's right. He is in Spice World. And so is Bob Hoskins, for that matter. Uh, George Washington, uh, David Gordon Green's film. Um, I almost yeah, said yeah, his yeah. masterpiece, but you know, I think I will say that. I love, love George Washington. Um, you mentioned Eyes Without a Face. Ugh, what a disturbing and unforgettable and haunting horror film. Just terrific. Alfred Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes, yet another one of those Hitchcock films where you just go, why haven't I seen this I before? like every single one of the Hitchcock films on Criterion, I think, except for Spellbound. Except for Spellbound. Okay, I'm not the biggest Spellbound fan. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, Make Room for Tomorrow. Uh, one of the, this is like, imagine Cocoon without the aliens. <laughs> Make Room for Tomorrow is about an elderly couple who basically come to terms with their soon-to-be passing um, beautiful, moving, and quite hilarious, I must say. The Browning version, uh, magnificent acting by everybody in the cast, is terrific. Steven Soderbergh's Schizopolis, what a, what a treat this film was, and what a discovery. Uh, many people did miss this film when it came out, and it, the, the VHS of it is quite hard to find. I'm grateful that Criterion has given this an excellent DVD. Steven Frears' film, The Hit, in which you get to see Tim Roth, John Hurt, um, Jim Broadbent, and Terrence Stamp in all the same all in the same film, one of Terrence Stamp's best performance. I, I make no qualms about saying that he's incredible in the film. Gus Van Sant's Malanoche, what a terrific film, what a great discovery to have this available on DVD. Fish Tank, mentioned Michael Fassbinder, Fassbinder a terrific performance from him, really a real treat of a film to see. Forbidden Games, and finally Ratcatcher. Ratcatcher is one of these movies I've, there are individual moments and scenes from the movie I've never been able to get out of my head, and I think about quite often. Um, and a lot of these films are like that they're poetic and they're beautiful and most of them you, most people have not seen before so check them out uh, one last film sorry I'm uh, that's okay so go ahead much. I jumped in with them uh, so I want to mention is uh, Harakiri the Japanese film I heard how good it was and I saw it was on Criterion and yeah it's really good it's about it's like a Kurosawa film kind of and I think Miyake is doing a remake of it but it's about uh, this samurai goes to commit Harakiri and but no one under the samurais believe him 
they just think he wants charity and it kind of uh, depicts the hypocrisy of the samurai and I thought it was like such like I'd never seen a kind of an examination of a topic like that in the way it's done it's a great film uh, and uh, Luis Buñuel's Ver- Veradiana uh, is one of my favorite films too mm, yeah it's the it's the symbolism in it is pretty insane and uh, one last one I wanted to mention was uh, Robert Bresson's Au Hasard Balthazar, one of the most powerful films I've ever seen. Huh. Uh, and it has the balls to have the metaphor of a donkey as Jesus. Yes. <laughs> there you go. All right. Huh. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, there's one more I'll kick in, and that's it. And it's a bare-bones disc, but Red Balloon. Mm. We talked about that on a film snob. One of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, yeah it's such a short film, but it's so universal. Yeah, uh, you know, we are slathering the love upon the Criterion. And, and rightfully so, I think. But there are films in the collection that just don't quite connect. Um, there's only one movie that on my, I've only got like three or four movies on this list, but there's only one of them that I would say, why the heck was this on Criterion? Outside of the obvious jokes like, you know, Armageddon and The Rock. But but Ethan, since you, you have slathered the most love, are there any that just you didn't like? To be honest, when I was kind of prepping this list, I didn't really look at the movies I didn't like. I didn't... Okay. But uh, you actually... Barry, you mentioned Carnival of Souls, right? Yes. Be completely honest, I'm not a huge fan of that okay. movie. I don't know. I just, I, It just felt like kind of all twist and... I don't know. I'd like to watch it again, though. Okay. Cool. Well, you know, in all honesty, and it, it breaks my heart to say this because, like, I know it's a profound film. I do. But I've never connected with Alhazard Balthazar... Um, yeah, for the, for the reasons you mentioned, and you know, I've I've nothing against you know the life of Christ as a metaphor for the life of this this downtrodden donkey, but uh, yeah, I didn't didn't quite connect with it. In fact, I found my inner snark coming out, which is probably the wrong way to see it. And you know what? I, by that same note, I should probably see it again. There you go. Is, is that the only one you got? No, I've got a couple more. A couple more. Just <laughs> oh, I've seen a lot of these. Um, Hopscotch. I don't know why this is a Criterion release. This is a caper comedy with Walter Matthau Matthau of course who's in charade amongst other films but uh, it's such it's such subpar fletch I don't understand why it's a Criterion film it, it's such a forgettable little movie I, I really don't understand why they would put the film on their list so Hopscotch was a big one for me oh sorry I remember one more this is one I actually didn't finish I turned off but have you ever seen I Am Curious Yellow no, no I didn't see any of the I Am Curious I- movies I turned. I don't know. I just found it incredibly dull, and I turned it off. I should probably finish it one day, but yeah. It, it, listen to us, like, because it's because the Criterion films we're we're saying like, you know, we probably should give it another shot or like finish it. No, it's and that's totally the case. These films, if nothing else, they may be interesting even if we don't connect with them. Uh, for example, uh, Philip Kaufman's *The Unbearable Lightness of Being*. Great performances, particularly by Daniel Day-Lewis and Julie Binoche and Lena Olin. Um, it is, I believe it's three hours long. It is, for me, just an insufferably long film. I've never liked it or connected with it, um, but it's a Criterion film. Um, the le- My least favorite Wes Anderson film, not a bad film, but I, I don't like the Jar- Darjeeling Limited. I never have. Um, I'm not sure why it's on Criterion, but you know his, his other films are, so I guess that's consistency. Um, a film by Powell and Pressburger called I Know Where I'm Going. This is a film that is all about female empowerment, and I appreciate the film for being about female empowerment, um, but I do think it makes its point for about in about five minutes and then kind of rambles on. Not a particularly remarkable film. I think one of the least impressive films that David Mamet has made, despite the great performances, is Homicide. I've talked about Homicide. I'm not a big fan of Homicide. Um, 
my least favorite Bergman film, despite the fact that it has such a great cast, is The Magician. I'm not a fan of The Magician. Okay. Even though it has a great performance, no question, a great performance by Max von Sydow, as do most of his films. But uh, yeah, wasn't crazy about that. And finally, a movie I watched for the first time recently, and it just made me realize I'm just... I'm just not a W.C. Fields fan. The Bank Dick. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate it because because there are some really surreal moments of comedy. I mean, no question. I understand his classic status, but I I think I laugh twice. It's I just I don't like W.C. Fields. I just don't. Fair enough. All right, I'll I'll, I'll get to mine. Um, you know, you, you brought up was it Blood for Dracula? Yeah, Blood for Dracula. Did you see Flesh for Frankenstein? I did. That's on my oh, list. That, yeah, I don't like that one either. It, it, you know, it's <laughs> like they're going through like an artsy grindhouse period when they released those movies. Yes. But this movie had no redeeming qualities at all to it whatsoever, I don't think. It was Blood just for Dracula a, is much better. Much okay, because this is like, I mean, it's pretty much a skin flick for, and trying to fit a monster right. movie into it. It just doesn't work. No, I agree with you. I don't like it either. Like, this is the movie that, that, that I'm like, why is this even a criterion? I mean, look, yes. this really... Why, and, and when it was worth... I picked it up for cheap and it was worth like 70 bucks. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to watch it first. Yeah, I don't need to keep this movie. Yeah, so you I'm don't gonna... need it. No, 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 no. Blood no. for Dracula, I think, is essential. But no, I agree with you on that one. And the other one that's going to... Before I get into trouble with you guys. Um, Metropolitan. You know, I liked it a bit when I saw it initially. Huh. And upon revisiting it, it was like the Howells and their friends, like from Gilligan's Island, you know, Thurston, Howell, and Lovey <laughs> hanging out with their friends. And it just didn't... I didn't like it really at all. really are screen time. geeks. We work in a Howells reference. Heck <laughs> yeah. Thurston, Howell, the third Hells, yes. Um, yeah, I just, it's so freaking pretentious. I like the film, but I understand where you're coming from. I do. Yeah, like, it, it held up all the first time. The second time, mm-mm, no, not so much. Um, and I know you love this film, Barry, but Brief Encounter, I just, mm-mm. Wasn't, oh, was not Brief with Encounter. That one. No, yeah. no. And that was one, uh, there was a, what was it? I think it was, oh, no, there was, it had a cracked case at Media Play, so I got it for like 20 bucks. Oh, jeez. It's like, all right, let's check it out. And, and it's not a film that was badly made. It's kind of like Hall Pass for me. Like, there are some films with certain themes. <laughs> No, 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 no. Uh, strange. Well, let me, let me finish my sentence first. Let me finish my sentence first. The 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 conceit behind the film and everything probably had me me geared against it from the get go. So that's probably why I didn't give it a fair shot. So at least I can say why I didn't like it. I was like, wow, just be happy with where you are. But okay, or don't marry that person in the first place. That's just my personal opinion. And then eight and a half is a beautiful film, but it honestly kind of bored me, especially on the second go round. Hmm. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's it's pretty, and, and there's no doubt that it's it's in love with cinema, and I can even acknowledge that it's a great film. I just, I'll never watch it again now, probably. Okay. Yeah, like like that opening scene from Falling Down, you know, like that's the art, the artistic part of that film. There's no denying that it's just a beautiful film in that respect, but it's just, again, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Sh- shall we move on to the films we, we hope come out on Criterion? Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one, Dave. I've got a couple. We'll, we'll kind of yeah. We'll try to try to keep it kind of yeah. short, but yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I've got a couple uh, to, to just throw this out. Let's see. I'll start with Dead of Night, my favorite horror anthology film. It's considered the greatest horror anthology film of all time. I believe it came out in 1939. Um, it's uh, it's not even on DVD. It needs to come out. Classic film. Paul Schrader's Blue Collar. Uh, Ethan and I have have talked many times about how much we love Richard Pryor. Not necessarily in the same movies, but we both do love Richard Pryor. And I think Blue Collar has the finest Richard Pryor performance. It's a dramatic performance. The film is Paul Schrader, and it was directed, excuse me, directed by Paul Schrader. It stars Pryor, Yafet Kato, and Harvey Keitel. Magnificent film. I think one of the best of its year. Um, 
the sequel to Wings of Desire, which I love, that Vin Vendors did, called Far Away So Close. It has everybody from Willem Dafoe and Mikhail Gorbachev in the cast. It needs to be Whoa. on Criterion. I think it's a great film. Very different film. It's more of a lightweight comedy than the first one, but it's a great film. Terry Gilliam's The Fisher King, I think, needs a proper release. The DVD it has out right now is completely unacceptable. David Mamet's The Spanish Prisoner. That is a film, I think, is screaming True. for a Criterion release. Um my favorite Coen Brothers movie, I don't care what people say, The Hud Sucker Proxy, it needs yes. a Criterion release. I love The Hud. Um, Steven Soderbergh's second movie, which I must admit is maybe maybe one of the most pretentious movies ever made. It's called Kafka. He made a right after Sex, Lies, and Videotape. It stars Jeremy Irons as Franz Kafka. It's a thriller. It's partly in black and white, partly in color, totally pretentious. I like Kafka. I want it on DVD. Um, William Friedkin Sorcerer the film that he made after The Exorcist it's considered one of the films that kind of destroyed the 70s movement where these you know these young filmmakers were doing whatever the heck they wanted well Sorcerer was this big expensive flop Um, it's a remake of The Wages of Fear great film that's on Criterion I really like Sorcerer a lot I hope it gets released one of these days and uh, yeah I'll just end it with this um, Vim Vendor's original five-hour cut of Until the End of the World. Vim Vendor's made Wings of Desire, amongst other great films. But Until the End of the World is, was meant to be his ultimate road film. It stars William Hurt, Sam Neill, Max von Sydow. It was filmed all over the planet, Everybody from everywhere from, from Japan, San Francisco, uh, uh, Australian outback. Um, part science fiction, part road film. It's magnificent. It's never been released. Uh, the, the th- sorry, the thing, I, I've been interrupting you a lot this episode. No, that's okay. I'm very sorry about it. But it's the okay. thing I know most about the movie is how they got all these bands to yes. like contribute music to it yes. that's like sort of futuristic in a way. Yeah. Thank you. No, no, it, it's one of the best soundtracks. It's considered one of the great soundtracks, certainly of the 90s, and it is an amazing, amazing soundtrack. Um, yeah, I love this film so much. It's never been released on DVD. Um, if, I think it was actually, but it was like there was nothing, no, not even a uh, commentary. And what the film... Um, Let's see. The version that yeah, what I'm trying to say is, is there's a five hour version of the film. It was only released in theaters overseas. In America, we got a two and a half hour version. Imagine the Lord of the Rings cut down to a 90 minute movie. And I swear to God, if you watch the five so it's like hour the animated film of Lord of the Rings, there you go. It, yeah, exactly. Like imagine like a f- like you know it's 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 a. It's half the movie. It's compressed. The version that was released in America, it's watchable. It's good, but it's really, really, really condensed. The five-hour version is an experience. It is truly an experience. It's magnificent. I showed it to my lost films class because I have a I have a region-free version of it on DVD. I showed it to my lost films class on a giant screen a couple of years ago, and it was for those who loved it. It was like this amazing experience. Um, this really needs a Criterion release. Right on, Ethan. Do you have any? Do you want to throw out? Yeah, a ton. Uh, well, this is, I think, a pretty <laughs> obvious one. I like Terrence Malick's Badlands needs to come. Yeah, the rest of his films are already. Yeah, so, well, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm hoping Tree of Life will too. But I'm God, I hope Tree of Life is going to be Criterion. Man, can yeah. I, I hope they don't botch that. I really don't. But no, I totally agree. Uh, Badlands. I was talking to super fan Mark Smith about this. <laughs> you know, the the DVD they have of Badlands right now completely unacceptable. Yeah, uh, some other ones, uh, Guy Madden's My Winnipeg, which I think is the best Canadian film of the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be perfect to put it out in uh, October when the Winnipeg Jets come back. It would be such perfect timing. <laughs> so do that. Um, uh, some other ones, I, I'd like to see uh, something like Sunrise, which is like a really classic film. But, yeah. you know, it should be on Criterion, it I think. It should. Uh, some of the ones I are released, like I think uh, Todd Haynes' Poison, which is yes. I think maybe his best film, should yes. definitely needs to come out on Criterion. 
some other ones. Uh, I, Lucas Moutisson's Show Me Love, which is an incredibly hard film to track down, but it is a brilliant, brilliant movie. So, you know, release it, get more. Uh, Werner Herzog's Strocheck, which when I watch yeah. the DVD, the quality on the DVD is terrible. So, upgrade. Uh, some of Tarkovsky's films, like Stalker, which is my favorite film from him, and the quality on the DVD is unacceptable. Same with uh, his uh, The Mirror. Um, also, I'd like to see uh, Adam McGoin's Exotica on Criterion. Wow, yeah. Quality on that's not the best. Um, and I think since Nicholas Winding Refin is going to make a huge splash this year with Drive, I think it's time to put out the Pusher trilogy in a, like, in a really pimped-out Criterion set. Mm. And uh, some of the uh, four months, three weeks, and two days, which is an incredible film. And the Romanian New Wave is really making a splash. So at least put one of them out. Uh, Bergman's Hour of the Wolf, which is one of my favorite films from his, and Persona for that matter. Yeah. Uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's uh, Blow Up, which is on like still like the only DVD. It's like a crappy snapper case. Yes, it sucks. it's like t- time for an upgrade there. Yes. Um, uh, Claire Denis' Beau Travail because they recently released white material get more Denis out there mm. uh, they recently put out Blow Out so I think putting uh, Dress to Kill would be a nice compliment yeah and I, since they put out there when you put out kind of like 80s 90s comedy great comedies I think uh, Albert Brooks Defending Your Life would be a good choice oh great choice I love that choice yes and one last one, uh, Fellini's La Dolce Vita. I think it might be on Blu-ray, but they have so many other Fellini movies. They really need to put that out, I think. Hmm. Fair enough. So Awesome. And I guess last question for the three of us. Do we have a well, guilty... I've got some still. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Good, good. It's all good. Well, did, what, you have guilty pleasure uh, Guilty ones? pleasure. Like, if there's a if there's like one movie that's not great or like a guilty pleasure we'd like oh, okay. to see Criterion put out. But, Fair enough. But please, I want to yeah, Okay, then I'm going to save one of my answers for that because, yeah. Okay. okay. Um, it's... The my biggest want I know is under under development. I know that they're getting ready to put uh, the game from Venture. Really, it's in wow. production because I, I remember hearing reading a thing from one of the cinematographers or something saying he's working on interviews and, and restorations and stuff That's for exciting. the game. Cool. That's probably the biggest one. Um, I think outside of that, honestly, I'd love to see some more Sturges. Hmm. Uh, stuff like Hail the Conquering Hero, or even oh shoot, uh, the Great McGinty. I think are two films that are Great that are films. prime for that kind of release. Yeah. Uh, I the one that I would love to see that I don't think ever will um, is Song of the South. I think mm. I think because they they have done Touchstone films in the past, which establishes there is a Disney relationship there. Yeah, and I think that since since Disney has pretty much killed the Disney Treasures line since Roy Disney passed away, I think Criterion is the company to treat the film with the proper respect and also give the proper context for the film, so that you don't have to. And it also gets it out in the collector market. So that it, it, it's not as... Dude, are you okay over there? My uh, roommate is hooking in his computer, but oh, like okay. Okay. making a big noise. Fair it's enough. Okay. Fair enough. I, I think that. that they're the group to, um, to to really treat this film with the respect and the, and the context that it needs. I think that it would be the perfect place because it's also going also gonna to go out to collectors. So That's a fascinating choice, Dave, because you're right. That removes the Disney thing out of there and you, you put it into a company that puts out edgy films and is prepared like to- Sallow I mean compared to Sallow Song of the South is nothing let's just <laughs> well, put it literally. out there but no 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 I, 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 that's a that's a really interesting choice I like that a lot and then you said okay what's our what's our, 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 our if you're gonna do it there's no way he'd ever let the rights out but I would love to see once again because Criterion are the masters of bringing context to a film I want to see a Criterion of the Room 
<laughs> <laughs> Tell me that would not be epic. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would love that. Okay. Did uh, I don't know? I've, have you guys ever been to a screening of the room? Yes. I need to. They played the. They played the deep when I went. They they played the like the one behind the scenes on the DVD, and they asked the actress who played uh, Lisa's mom, you know, with the breast cancer. <laughs> right. And she's saying this is by far the most pro- professional production I've ever done. <laughs> wow. So I'm kind of like thinking there's a lot of uh, good behind the scenes stuff. That's what I'm thinking. Well, and and since the films come out. <laughs> You could do you could do an entire special feature about the impact on midnight cinema that that the room has had. Well, they've released Equinox, um, you know, the monster movie. I mean, it's clearly they, they do have a love for movies that are kind of off the beaten track, and certainly stuff that's like midnight movies, like, like even like Eyes Without a Face, A Fiend Without a Face, and Eyes Without a Face. So yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they do that. I that's my you. pick. So okay, okay. But what have you got, Barry? Oh gosh, like I've always thought, uh, there's a film I love that's it's so stupid, and and the more I see it, I realize like why do I love this movie so much? But um, the 86 slasher film April Fool's Day. Okay. Apparently there exists a completely different ending to this film. Uh, the DVD that will get released now is completely unacceptable, not even a trailer on it. And this is a film that, you know, I mean, we've talked about it. It's kind of a precursor to Scream. It's a post-modernist ironic horror film. It's not as good or as, as polished as Scream. Um, but it, it, I've always found it to be a ridiculous, guilty pleasure amount of fun, and I would love to to see like a commentary on this. You know, I've I've really loved when Paramount released their Friday the Thirteenth box set because all of a sudden you had like commentaries on Jason Takes Manhattan <laughs> and commentaries on you know Part Six Jason Lives, and like you know th- these are not great films or even in some cases not even good films, but I thought. You know that what a what a treat to hear the director talk about these cheeseball movies. And for me, April Fool's Day is is the best of like the '80s slasher movies. And I would love to see it, you know, treated with a little respect because I think it does deserve some respect. Okay, so what's your one pick, Ethan? I'm going to narrow you down to one pick. Superman three. Nice. I'm trying to think, is there nothing on? I mean, obviously Criterion would totally run with that, but is there, there's nothing on the on the box? There's set. nothing on the box set. Nothing, because I haven't watched that one yet. I've watched the other ones, but I I, I think it's just I think it might have a trailer on that set. So yeah, they don't have any commentaries. I could have swore there's a commentary on it. I'll take a look. So. Okay. Say, do, yeah. do you have that, Ethan? Do you own a Superman three on DVD? <sighs> Not yet. <laughs> kind of shocked to hear that, but okay. <laughs> all right. So so there's our love of Criterion. Uh, you can check all their stuff out at Criterion.com. I know Barry needs to get going, so let's no, finish No, it's okay. This we up. got a few minutes. So let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting theaters this week, because I'm sure there's something that's Criterion-worthy coming out this week, or not. <laughs> or not. Well, let's see. Likely the number one movie of the week, uh, just in terms of popularity, I'm, I'm guessing, would probably be Horrible Bosses with Kevin Spacey, Jason Bateman, Jennifer Aniston, and Colin Farrell, who looks like, if they, if anything in the movie is going to work, it's going to be his performance. He looks look like, like Len from uh, Tro- Tropic Thunder. Yes. Len Weisman. Yes, I, I'm hoping Len Grossman. Let's go Grossman. Lou Grossman, yes. Lou yes. Grossman. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay, I know what you meant. And uh, let's see, also Zookeeper, which tonight <sighs> before Transformers, the first look gave us behind the scenes of Zookeeper, and I thought it looked bad now, but man. It looks like something out of Funny People. <laughs> it so does, it just like Grown so Up bad. does. So bad, exactly. But like I said, Nick Nolte as a talking gorilla obsessed with TGI Fridays. Come on. He's been typecast again. Uh, Project Nim, the documentary that was quite popular apparently at uh, the Sundance Film Festival about the intelligence of a monkey, supposed to be quite good. Uh, Beats, Rhymes, and Life, the tribes of a tribe called Quest. This is a documentary about the travels of a tribe called travels of a tribe called Quest. Sorry, uh, directed uh, and concocted by actor turned filmmaker Michael Rappaport, supposed to be quite good. And if you're a fan of Tribe Called Quest, this is essential, essential filmmaking, and that's it. Cool. 
All right, yeah, I don't know that I'll see any of those. Probably oh, you not. don't want to see the Tribe Called Quest film? Not a fan well, it's not going to be here. I mean, it's like in four theaters, so I'm That's pretty true. sure it's not going to well, be. It'll us. come to Denver probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I must say, you know, I've been I've given Kimball's a lot of hard time about being smelling like feet, and it no longer smells like feet. I discovered that when I went to uh, to see <laughs> well, Tree good. of Life. I'm glad we could promote the Kimball's uh, three. Uh, I've given them enough crap theater. that I need to give you know credit where well, credit is due. It's a nice I'm theater, glad, nice Dave. seats. It's, it's the only art theater we have here in the spring. So. Exactly, and I hate yeah. to dump all over it. So, all right, and then what's coming out on, on home video next week? Uh, Matthew McConaughey's Return to Form, a very good film, I must say, The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, Rango, one of the top grossing films of the year, starring the voice of Johnny Depp. This is Gore Verbinski's CGI animated film. And you guys have seen this, right? Which one? Yes. Rango? I have not. I need to. Okay, I, I haven't seen wait. it yet. You liked it, right, Ethan? It's pretty awesome. Okay. I need to check this out. Um, one of my favorite films of the uh, the first four months of the year uh, would be Insidious, James Wan's uh, highly unoriginal, but you know what? Highly effective horror thriller. I thought this film the execution was, very good. was quite well done. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, definitely one of the scariest American films in years. I thought uh, Russell Brand and Helen Mirren highlight the uh, remake of Arthur, which I have not seen yet. Quote unquote theaters. highlight. <laughs> Well, you know, it was in theaters for five minutes. I will give this film a shot, but I, I can't say I was excited to see it. The domestic cut of Brazil is being released by Universal Studios. This is the initial theatrical version that was released in the U.S. without about, it's missing about 14 minutes that was yeah. in the Terry Gilliam version. And there's nothing on this as far as extras go. Ooh. So I'm guessing it's because Criterion owns the rights to the extras. So I'm hoping they license it out to Criterion for a Blu-ray set. Why are they even trying to compete with Criterion? They should just be like, it's their movie. Let's let them run, run with yeah. it. Uh, Roger Corman's Battle Beyond the Stars, fun uh, B movie, and you know what? They, I believe this is Blue Underground. I think who puts this out. They always, whenever they do these Corman DVD releases, including uh, the remake, I think of it's Not Shout. Quite Human. Is it Shout? Excuse me, Shout Factory. Because that's who put out Piranha. So You're yeah. right. Yes, yes. Uh, they put out just great stuff. There's so many extras, so many great like documentaries and commentaries. So whenever it's a Corman film, it's definitely essential. Um, Uncle Boone May, who can remember his past lives, the winner of the Cannes Film Festival about two years ago now finally getting released on DVD. I don't think it ever came here theatrically. I've wanted to see this thing, and it never came here. It played at the at the Stars Festival, but it was right. sold out in like two minutes. And it was playing at the same time as Black Swan, so I had to, had to choose. So I will see it either. Well, it, is, it, is, it is a better film than Black Swan, but oh well. I will see And it. Black Swan was only coming out like a few weeks after that. So. No, we got it like a couple months later. I needed this, and I needed the scoop. I did. I needed to see Black Swan. No one on Maui had heard of Uncle Boone. I'll admit, I sold out. Uh, let's see, Buster Keaton's twenty to twenty-three short. Oh, excuse me, nineteen twenty to nineteen twenty-three short films. It's a three-disc Blu-ray set, which is pretty impressive. Wow. Yeah. Very good. And then finally, on DVD only, Dave will explain why Wreck Two. Because <sighs> it's stupid magnet putting it out, and they don't want to put money into a Blu-ray release. There it is. <laughs> Who would want to see this on Blu-ray? I don't know. I'm going to import it because I, I have to own these movies on Blu-ray. They're, they're so overseas it's on Blu-ray, but yes, not, not in the U.S. Not cool. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, if you want to shoot us an email, by all means do. You can hit us at, uh, let's say, Ethan, Barry, or Dave, or podcast, all at ScreenGeeks.com if you want to hit all of us up. If you want to give us a call, okay, here's the thing. We've changed voicemail numbers again. This time it's permanent, though. I'm not paying for anything through Skype. This is never another way, so it's our number now. It's going to be 719-695-0706. Give us a call. We'll play your voicemail on the air. And uh, Also, uh, if you want, I can give my cell phone number. So if anyone wants to sext me, you know. Wow. I'm, I'm just not going to open us up to those kind of complaints. I'm just not going to do it, sir. Uh, who knows what we're talking about next week, but it'll be a good time. Until then, this is Dave. This is Barry. This is Tom. Take it easy. Thank you.
Oh, hi, Mark.